Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. I'll invite you to get your Bibles out to Galatians chapter 5 this morning is the text we're going to kind of launch out of. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Grass withers, flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So how does God bring about change in the life of his people? How does that work get accomplished? We're discussing discipleship outcomes uh, these next few weeks. We did communing with God. I thought it was great there uh, Wednesday night at our, at our time of and we were meeting for Bible study and somebody mentioned communing with God like as their vocabulary. And I, I didn't say anything then, but I was like, it was Melissa. I was like, ding, 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 ding. I'm like, hey, that's, the, that's what we're talking about. We want to have communing with God. There is this communing with God that has to be part of just who we are. It's a discipleship outcome. Well, this morning we're moving on to um, life by the Spirit, living by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. But I think, so how does God then bring about these outcomes? And the first question I think we have to answer is, does God want a change in his people? Does God really want something like manifestly different in your life? And it's an important question to ask because in our world today, we almost hold us a cerebral Christianity or a a mind Christianity. There is a there are certain truth claims we give assent to. 
we'd say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, maybe even he saved me from my sins. But when it comes to my daily walk, when it comes to how I live my life, really, I just am a good person and Jesus is my churchy stuff. But, but as far as influencing my life, Jesus doesn't really have all that much to do with it. Well, I'd say that's it's an absolute unbiblical way of thinking. Because God very much is invested and cares not only to rescue us from our sin and folly, but to actually change us and to conform us, as Romans 8.29 says, to conform us to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29, after that great promise of um, God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. He says that those God foreknew, he predestined that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. So God is not just fire insurance. He's not just get out of hell. He is that. I mean, he is escape the wrath of God. But there also is a conforming to the image of Christ. There is a call to be, have an impact in our lives. Not only did God save us, but he does this to make us new. That we would be conformed to the image of Jesus as his true disciples. Now the mechanism by which God works this is living by the Spirit. How God conforms us to his image is this being led by the Spirit. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, we, we went through that passage and it's talking about there that when God saves us, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Every believer in Jesus is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You, God is now with you, indwelling you as a believer. You have the Holy Spirit. If you've repented of your sin and are trusting in Christ, God has taken up residence, as you were, I mean, with you by the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit. And so our second discipleship outcome is that the follower of Jesus Christ, because they have the Holy Spirit, is going to live or walk, if we wanted to use the Ephesians language, walk, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. There's a Christian walk. We don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk, you know, that sort of... That there is a walk, and it is a walk led by the Spirit. Now, the reason why we want, the reason why we want to emphasize this is that it's, it's actually in contrast a bit to the way we normally think of how change is going to happen. If we were to pool the best minds, our answer of how we're going to make conformity happen would probably just to be give us a really long and detailed list of rules. Give us a long and accurate list of rules. Let's all get together and just try to think, what are all the things that we need to do to make sure that we conform to Christ? And we'll write up a whole 500-page document of all the little things we need to do to make sure that we conform to Christ. And then we'll all just go out and memorize... 500 page document of what it means to keep the rules so that you can be conformed then to the image of Christ. Insist that we all commit each rule to memory and then bada bing we have people conformed to the image of Christ. There it is, right? We, we could wrap our minds around that. The problem is that's not the way God goes about it and all that that really would do would point out our failure to conform to Christ. I mean give yourself five rules for today. <laughs> And see if you can keep them. <laughs> I mean, honestly, try to think of... I mean, it, it's, it is... We live 
with a depraved nature. The sinfulness of our, of our uh, humanity pervades and per, is, is in every, permeates every area of our life. The way that God attacks the problem is not by reconverting us to law. We, don't, we aren't saved by the gospel, filled with the Spirit, and then given law. It isn't, okay, by grace you've been saved, now here's a heap of the law for you to go back to. That isn't how God does it. He fills you with the Spirit, and He says, live now by my, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This, in one sense, is a problem that's being faced in the Galatian church. So, if you got your Bible out, I hope you do. Galatians, we're not going to, we're going to do context, and I have in my notes here briefly, because you don't need a half-hour sermon on the context of Galatians, but just briefly, you can see quickly, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, something has happened. Paul writes, Galatians is a fascinating letter, it's one of the meanest, things. he just, Paul comes out of the gates, he doesn't thank for it, he's not thankful for it, he doesn't pray for it, he's just like, I am astonished, verse 6. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Something's going on in this Galatian church that false teachers have come in and after accepting the grace of God, they're now accepting a different gospel. They've gone astray. Later on he says, who's bewitched you? I think it's beginning of chapter 3. He talks about, oh foolish Galatians, yes, who has bewitched you? The church is being tempted to embrace a different gospel. And what is this gospel? Well, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, just to quickly go through. Paul, as one who was a Jew by birth... He's writing now to the Jewish believers. He's saying, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You can read there at the end of chapter 1, the start of chapter 2, Paul has to confront Peter. It's the start of chapter 2. And, he has, and what's happened is that Peter has begun to go back to ritualistic law. He's back to eating with just the Jews. Peter, who was forgiven by Jesus on the, on the shore there, certainly is a saved Christian, begins to start going back to keeping rules to please God. Paul has to confront him and oppose him and say, this is not the gospel. This is not what, what has begun by the Spirit. Will you now finish by the flesh? This is Paul's discussion or, or argument against him. And then he goes on into this, this long um, portion of, of his letter on the reality of Abraham being justified by his faith. We are no longer under the obligation of fulfilling Old Testament law for our righteousness. This is what Christ has done for us. Think about the picture of Jesus at his baptism, right? We know that he goes to John the Baptist and John the Baptist is like, I'm pretty sure that you should be the one baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, this is, this is to be done to fulfill all righteousness. 
that Jesus perfectly obeys the law. And God, as John was one of his prophets, is bringing in this baptism of repentance. Did Jesus have anything to repent of? Did Jesus have anything to repent of? That, there's a no. There should be a definite no to that. Jesus was without sin. Okay, that was your catechism question this morning. Jesus was without sin. Yet, he's obedient to everything that God desires. He fulfills perfect righteousness. So, it brings us to this question. Is there any need now for righteousness? Is the law truly done away with? Now, I'm going to say something radical. But grace is radical. I want you to hear this. There is no longer any need for our righteousness to add to or to secure our justification. There is no longer any need for our righteousness to add to or to secure our justification. It is Christ alone and his righteousness that sets you right, that justifies you before God. This is what Paul says here in Galatians 2.16. It is through faith in Christ. So we have believed in Christ in order to be justified, what? By faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Your righteousness does not add to or secure your justification. However, is the law then just done away with? What The law is not just done away with. You can see this in Paul's writing here of chapter 5. When he lists off what kind of sounds like some element of, like, here's all the things you should put to death. <laughs> here's all the things you should not be doing. However... The law is not done away with, but rather God's people are empowered by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. I used a word last week, antinomian. This is why we're not antinomian, which is against the law. But rather, the Christian is to live in the joy and freedom of the Spirit, seeking to love their neighbor out of the joy that has been wrought by God in their lives. This is what Paul means when he speaks of living by or walking by the Spirit. It is a glad obedience to God. What the law does is it comes in and it crushes you. Actually, there's three uses of the law. The first use of the law is a mirror. And there's this, it's written what you should do, and you look at yourself and you're like, I don't meet up to that. I fall short. And that first use of the law as a mirror is just to expose your sinfulness and your need for grace. The second one is the civil use. And the third use is a guide for, okay, now having been justified, how does, what does glad obedience to God look like? The Christian lives then not under the threat of the law, but under the liberty of the Spirit. The Christian lives, what your life looks like is not one of crushing law, but liberated joy to follow God as he has called us to live. Do you get the, the juxtaposition, the different posture that that is? And we've all been in churches where you just walk away burdened with more law. Here are the, the 25 distinctive things about us that you better keep 
and they are, they are constricting, they are burdening, they are heavy. But living by the Spirit is not crushing you with law. It is, it is supposed to be this liberation to joyfully follow God and where He is leading you to go in glad obedience. It looks like love for neighbor. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control against such thing. There is no law. That the Christian is called to then gladly live by the Spirit. Our text in Galatians, it recognizes here in chapter 5, the reality of this struggle that we live with on the ground. Because there is a conflict wrestling inside of us. It's a conflict between the desires of the flesh, our sinful nature, and the desires of the Spirit. Paul confesses this reality. He says, you're not under the law, but you are led by the Spirit. And then he lists the works of the flesh. Boy, that was a long list to read out. Anybody else know how, I'm like, did I, did I repeat a line here? <laughs> Why? This just goes on and on of all of these things that we are to be putting to death. When you put in the effort that your flesh calls for, these are the works that you do. When you put in an effort to follow the flesh, you do, these are the works in this list that you do. And they range from um, incredible, of idolatry, sorcery, but all the way down to jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all sorts, the gamut of this list. So those are the works. Those are the works of the flesh. But he goes on in verse 22, there are then fruit of the Spirit. You see the distinction between works of the flesh and fruit. Fruit is, is, is a glad uh, production of a healthy tree. Works are what happens under law and obligation. Fruit of the Spirit. There's, there's this uh, juxtaposition between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. There is a liberated outflow of the Spirit because of the crucifixion of the flesh with its desires. It is obedience. We don't want to deny that reality. It is obedience, but it is glad obedience to who God is and what he has called you to, one motivated by the renewed heart with new loves empowered by the Spirit. One commentator says it like this. He says, in summary, Paul tells us that victory over sin is not the result of living under the law. Instead, victory over sin is the result of actively yielding to the Spirit. Therefore, both the first step of salvation and its ongoing steps, sanctification, growth, and holiness, they are brought about within us by God's Spirit working through faith. To be saved, we must have faith in Christ. To walk in God's ways, we must have faith in the Holy Spirit, for He empowers us to walk in obedience. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We see the same kind of theme coming from Paul. Romans chapter 7. This is actually, you could go all kinds of places where you see this same call. It's why it's so easy to talk about living by the Spirit, the call for the Christian to walk by the Spirit. Jim and I, Tuesday, we're kind of going through, listing off all these different texts where you could launch out of on where, where you're going to go to talk about living by the Spirit because it's a major theme in the New Testament. But Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6, 
says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit. You hear the similar language there? Bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh under law, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law. How? Through this justification that happens through the looking to Christ, the turning from your sin, the trusting in Christ and his work, the being born again, this newness of life. We are released from the law, not under it as a master anymore, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Something new has happened upon the Christian's new birth. We now live our lives because belonging, we belong to a different master. Going on back to Romans 8, there is real work here, but it is not one of a labor to do good, but rather a work of putting to death the impulses that are, that are there in our old man. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. We, have no, we don't have no obligation to serve the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you do what? You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Since we have no obligation to the flesh, we are to kill it, to mortify it, to put it to death. By the Spirit, the deeds of the flesh. We do this out of the reality of who we are, God's very own children. Let's just quickly go to Philippians as well. I was thinking on the first chapter of Philippians and it just jumped out at me, this, this relationship that Paul creates between our existence of being God's children and how that influences our walk. Philippians chapter 1, just look at verses 9 and 10. This is his prayer for the Philippian church. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. There's this growth in godliness, growth in love with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit, hear the language, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There is this fruit of righteousness that's going to be produced in them. They're going to abound in love more and more. And they're going to be filled into the fruit of righteousness, testing and approving what is good and excellent, not with all knowledge and discernment. That's all going to happen in them. Why? Well, look up earlier in verse 4. He's making this prayer with joy because they have this partnership in the gospel with him. And he says that God will then do this work. He'll bring it to completion. But he says it's right for him, verse 7, to feel this way about them because they are partakers with him of grace. They are God's people by grace, and therefore because they are his, here's a natural fruit in their life of growing in love 
more and more and more and more and more as they follow the Spirit. Our obedience to God is powered not by the threat of the law, but by the joy of being His. It's not that the law isn't threatening. (laughs) It is. But the Christian life is not one powered by the threat of the law, but by the joy of being His. So, practical application. John uh, Chrysostom, I always want to say Chrysostom, but it's like, I think it's supposed to be Chrysostom, and none of you care about that, but I'm just saying. John Chrysostom lives way back when, I'm quoting what would be considered one of the patristics, an early church father, 349 to 401 is his life. So, fourth century Christian. He says this in his commentary here on Galatians. He says that Paul says that Christ hath removed the yoke from you, not that ye may prance and kick, like just go out and be wild. The yoke has been removed. Christ has removed the yoke from you, but that so that without the yoke, ye, you, may proceed at a well-measured pace. The, the yoke is lifted. The law has been removed, not so we can just go, it doesn't matter how we live, but the yoke is removed that we might march gladly forward in the direction that God has for us. He's making this point that our liberty, this from the law, is not for our wild behavior, but that we might walk in the way Christ designs for us to go. We do this, he says, Chrysostom says, at a well-measured pace. Living by the Spirit is, is not to be seen as some sort of new superpower. Like, let's get charged up. And we're all going to go out and live by the Spirit like, we're, like it's some radioactive spider bite that now all of a sudden you're amazing because now you're going to live by the Spirit. And it's just, wow, I can now leap over buildings and climb walls and do all kinds of cool stuff because I've got superpower uh, in that storm. I've become a sinless perfecto man or woman. Like sinless perfecto. I think it's kind of a good superman name. Sinless perfecto. No? Okay, it's kind of the campy Batman-like era. Sinless perfecto man. Uh, I think it should be. No, I think it should. Sinless, see, I convinced him it was a real thing. Sinless perfecto man. I am, actually, yes, that's true. <laughs> Bible man is a real guy. Uh, but I, I share that because there, there is this I think wrong expectations sometimes that there may certainly, when we're trying to get to practical application here now, there may certainly be great moments of sacrifice, big moves for God in your life, great moments of sanctification, and praise God when they do happen. But the reality is life by the Spirit, God is far more involved in just the real elements of your life. Far more involved in the things that happen around your kitchen table, in the conversation between you and your spouse, how you parent your kids, you with your coworkers, you here on a Sunday morning after church, before church, on a Wednesday night, you at the park when you meet a friend and you're having a conversation with them, or you go to a ball game or a track meet and you're sitting in the stands waiting for your kids to run for three hours and you're having conversations. Walking by the Spirit is less about being sinless perfecto man or woman and being simply obedient in the very small, simple ways that God leads you to in your everyday life. Walking by the Spirit is not fulfilled in the grand movie moments we think of, 
but in thousands of seemingly insignificant decisions that accrue over a lifetime. We do not grow by giant leaps of obedience, flashy displays of love, but by countless simple steps of obedience and ordinary, often forgotten, acts of love for our neighbors. Kitchen table kind of Christianity, faithfulness in simple friendships, parenting well, living by the Spirit. I, I say that hopefully to kind of encourage us because I don't, I don't think our goal at Missio is we're going to build a team of su- Captain Americas, superhumans. What we want is faithful obedience in the everyday rhythm of life. That living by the Spirit is having a fellowship of people who are seeking in everyday simple ways. How do I trust Jesus here? How do I just, how do I, how do the fruit of the Spirit's manifest here? So, secondly, you do not need to wait to feel a deep need to follow the Spirit. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to depend upon when this great crisis happens in front of me then I'm going to walk by the spirit like when I get the chance I get so mad at somebody and I'm going to murder them at that moment I'm hopefully going to walk by the spirit and not do it walking by the spirit is the thousand steps up to that point putting to death anger putting to death revenge putting to death offenses holding grudges all these sorts of things it is a thousand steps up to that You don't need to wait until some great need to follow the Spirit. It is every step. Paul, at the end of Galatians 5 there, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also then keep in step with the Spirit. It isn't some grand path that, oh, it is is step by step living by the Spirit. Rehearse forgiveness. You don't have to wait for the big offense to happen. Rehearse forgiveness in the very small events of your relationships right in front of you. Rehearse forgiveness and apology with, and grace with the people inside of your family. Rehearse charity, love. Rehearse prayer. Rehearse scripture memorization. Rehearse mercy. Rehearse trust in God's sovereign and good plan. Live by the Spirit and all the thousands of small steps daily. They accrue over time. That coworker that insults you, living by the Spirit is working hard. And that small, seemingly insignificant detail, no one's going to know if you hold a grudge against them, if you whatever, have some sort of revenge. God knows. But practice forgiveness in those moments. Someone's ignoring you in idle occupations, that things that don't matter or don't fulfill you. If there's a person who's never nice to you or any of those things, practice, rehearse repentance. Who have we been challenged to love and how? What have we been persuaded to overlook? Working with the Spirit is in those daily small reactions and rhythms of life, making every step that you can with Him so that your overarching walk will be with Him. Because we are His, because the Spirit resides in His people, let us keep in step with the Spirit and live by the Spirit. It happens in the thousands of little things throughout life. The phone call to someone else in here, the note to them, the prayer for them, the, the spending time reading systematically through this book, and not every time is a magical, wonderful 15 minutes in the Scripture, but something is happening as you are faithful, following God's leading every little bit of the way, that as 
you walk living by the Spirit, it is step after step in obedience to who he is and what he has called us to. Let's pray. Father, do fill us with your Spirit. What we want to happen here, God, is that you would manifest your goodness, your glory, your love, your kindness, compassion, the, the gospel through simple lives of communion with you and living according to your spirit, following your leading, loving where you've called us to love, forgiving where you've called us to forgive, encouraging where you've called us to encourage, praying for those you've called us to pray to, studying what you've called us to study to, remembering, recalling the gospel promises that you've laid out in front of us. Father, empower us by your spirit. Father, there are, there are great things. You are building your church. We know this. You are building your church. And we pray that, God, it is in through thousands of seemingly inf insignificant things in a seemingly insignificant place in southern Iowa that as we commune with you, as we seek to obey you, that you achieve and accomplish your purposes by your grace and your mercy through simple people seeking to treasure you and love you and be led by you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Help us, God, in glad obedience to follow you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.